Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm very delighted to be joined on today's programme by Stephen Adkins. Stephen is the Managing Director of Adkins Associates, a company which provides conflict resolution services for the construction sector. Steve, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for for taking the time to join us this afternoon. No problem, Scott. It's a joy to be here. It's a real pleasure having you as well, Steve. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership as a whole. So if we just dive straight in and just take that word leader and look at that in isolation first and foremost, what does that word actually mean to you? Um, well, for me, I suppose that has uh, a number of uh, implications. Um, not least of all the obvious one that, that um, I think you've got to be out front and um, uh, and give some direction. Um, I think that that's what uh, people are looking for from their leaders, um, a sense of direction. Having said that, for me, it also means that uh, good leadership recognises that you're not there by yourself. And actually, um, a good leader is probably only as good as the team that he or she leads. Um, so I, I, I think it's causing to have things done rather than doing it all yourself as the leader. Um, I think that that's an important issue for us um, as a team is, yes, having direction, but making sure that everybody's included in uh, deciding the direction at some level, commenting on that direction, buying into that direction. I think for me that's some of the aspects of leadership that I want to see um operating in in my own life, in my own kind of style of leadership and those within the team as well that I'm responsible for. And that mention of the uh, the team mentality there, uh, Steve, brings me very nicely onto a quote from Nelson Mandela, actually. Surround yourself with people who are better than you, because as you've rightfully said there, you're only as good as the team around you. And to be quite honest, um, you've got to think as a leader about delegating responsibility, haven't you? So you've got to look for people whose qualities complement yours, and maybe they're good at things that maybe you're not as strong as doing. And it's about just as much them nurturing the best out of you as their leader, just as much as it is vice versa isn't it you getting the best out of your team absolutely right um my my early days of leadership if it's of any relevance was in sport and um and from a very young age i used to love rugby um i wasn't the best player on the field but uh, certainly i was one of the most vocal on the field and managed to get the best out of people when I knew fine well that I wasn't the best on the field, but actually, just in the Nelson Mandela way, if you can surround yourself with people, players who are better than you, and then rather than being jealous of their gift, you actually can nurture their gift and bring out their gift, then it it, it can only serve to uh, further purposes, even of your own personal um, agenda, but more particularly of the people that you work with and for. So, yeah, I'm definitely... uh, of that ilk in terms of leadership. Mm, very right. Um, absolutely. And um, what I would also ask, uh, Steve, while we're also on this uh, topic, is in terms of some of the big inspirations and profound influences, if you will, that have um, really had an impact on you throughout your career, is there anybody that really sticks out or any individual experiences that maybe have had a big influence? Um, so, certainly, there have been kind of uh, uh, bosses I've worked for, if you like, in my kind of career who've exhibited this kind of leadership that certainly ha- have inspired me. 
you've you've mentioned also on on the more the world stage people like Mandela and um, and, and men and women of history who who've, who've been able to um, to show tr- true leadership. Um, uh, those kind of people you can't help but being inspired by. But yes, there certainly have been people in in, in my own personal life, known, known to probably very few people other than myself. But because of their style of leadership, their inclusiveness, their their ability to get the best out of me, um, that that has inspired me to go on and, and try and do that for others as well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably no names of anybody famous, but I, th- I think actually um, it probably is the more personal. Um, the, 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 the ones that have had the most impact are people that are, are are known to me and a few others, if you like, rather than the 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 national figures, international figures. They they can be inspirational, but actually I think it's the hands-on personal um, uh, uh, examples that I've seen in my own life that have probably been the most influential in. The, shaping me and shaping how I kind of do business and go about my work. Mm. And, and that reminds us, doesn't it, that leadership comes in many different forms. It, you don't necessarily have to be somebody in the public eye who sticks your head above the parapet to be a good leader and an influential person. And some of the most influential leaders out there, as you rightly said there, can often be those closest to us, be they family members, yeah. be they colleagues that we work with, maybe managers that we've worked for. And we can learn an awful lot from those sorts of people, can't we? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I think that that's that's probably we live in a celebrity um, era, don't we? When when um, uh, so many people kind of think that to to, to be of significance, that, that there must be some fame attached. But actually, that probably the the most significant people in my life will will not be known to many, um, but they will have had the most significant impact on the what the way I lead my life and the, the way I go about my business. And I think that's. Not just true of me. I think that's true of many, and I think that should be an encouragement to leaders as well. It, it, it's it's not about uh, your profile and how many um, followers you've got on Facebook or LinkedIn. It, it it is about the people you're impacting in your world, and uh, I think that's the greatest measure. Is is looking to that. You, you may not be famous, but you you may actually have uh, more influence than you'll ever know. Uh, and I think it's it, it it's it's keeping a handle on that. It's uh, it, it, it's not fame we're looking for. It, it is a sense of of, of influence um, and significance within the kind of work we do. And I think that's got to be a key issue for us. Mm. And I think people who are tuning into this, particularly among the younger generation, if you're aspiring to make it in business for yourself, especially, that's an incredibly important message to take on board. Don't be driven by want to be in the limelight, want to be in terms of celebrity and short term success. It's very much about the impact you have on people's lives and also long term goals as well for certain. Yeah. Um, one of the important elements of leadership as well, of course, as Stephen is dealing with conflict when it does arise. And that's essentially your speciality, if you will. You talk in great detail about uh, that and um, about Atkins Associates' work in the Parliamentary Review, um, an indispensable guide to best practice, of course. And yeah, that's it's something which sometimes I think when we think of leadership is forgotten, isn't it? Having to resolve conflicts as and when they come about and being a specialist in that. How would you go about approaching that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, uh, it's a strange world because um, personally, um, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who loves confrontation. Uh, and I think confrontation is part of resolving conflict, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, but I have got a desire to kind of see um, uh, conflicts resolved, um, and and so consequently, 
Um, I would err towards, if it's at all possible, uh, trying to resolve conflict, uh, talking around the table rather than kind of employing others at great cost to kind of get it sorted out. Um, but uh, so, so that is that is is my desire for us to kind of be. Um, can I say this more grown up about our kind of approach towards um, uh, resolving conflicts and being able to kind of talk? You will always find this two sides to an argument and both have their points to make. Uh, and, and sometimes we do need a third party to, uh, to to decide it. But I think that there is so much more that could be done um, by just, uh, yeah, having a little bit more grace with each other, uh, being able to listen better um, and, uh, and not just to listen, but to take on board the points that are being made. Um, and even if we don't agree with them, um, may, maybe trying to factor those points into um, the ultimate resolution. Um, uh, I've been in the building industry, the construction industry for 40 years plus. Um, and it has always been my um, realization that we, we work in an industry that seems to be fraught with arguments. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, and I, and I kind of think that that is something that we, we could work on so much more. There's some great technology out there that can help us, but actually it's the personal level that's, that's going to take things forward when we start to kind of deal with the way that we handle dispute resolution, conflict, and, and how we resolve that. Um, I, think, I think these are important issues for us. And technology at this time. Mm, absolutely, yeah. as, you, as you were about to say, that technology is going to play an incredibly important part during this time, isn't it? Um, especially as yeah. we adjust to the new normal brought about by COVID nineteen and adapt to the challenges of the future. Um, yeah, that's going to be that's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, in terms of uh, the uh, the next uh, twelve months, if we focus on the uh, the future before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program, Steve, what do you envision the next year holding for yourself and for Atkins Associates, and what do you really hope to actually achieve? as we not only move through the pandemic, but hopefully emerge from the other side of it and really look to the long-term future as well? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you, you can't... We, we go into this period with a bit of trepidation, I think, um, and because there is so much that is unknown. Um, uh, we don't really know the full impact of the pandemic. Uh, we don't know even how it's going to affect us going forward. What our desire would like to uh, would be at Atkins Associates is 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 to want to work with parties who want to find, shall we say, a, a different way uh, of um, discovering that uh, sense of certainty together. Um, somebody once said, "Better the." Uh, the certainty of misery than the misery of uncertainty. And uh, at some level, uh, we want to work with people who want to get at um, the, the truth as, as much as we can define it. And and then together as employer, as client, as contractor, as subcontractor, work together uh, to, to try and get through what will be a difficult time for, for the industry as it, as it recovers. There will be costs that uh, we will never be reimbursed for, um, uh, it, on all all sides, and and it is rather than trying to kind of just shift blame and and point the finger uh, in a in a period where really it's um, it's all unique in my experience, uh, where actually there is there are very few that you can point the finger at. Um, it, it is now trying to work together together as an industry through that, and we would like to be part of that, not just running dispute resolution in the kind of um, adversarial way but in a more collaborative form where we can kind of encourage people to talk together, to work together, 
to kind of deal with the fact that uh, maybe technology can help us get at, um, but ultimately it's going to be the decisions of individuals that help us kind of move through to a, a hopefully a, a better future in the in the coming year. And let's certainly hope we start to see that better future coming and that light at the end of the tunnel sooner rather than later, for sure, Steve. Yeah, um, I've got to say, I mean, it's been a real pleasure having you on the uh, the programme uh, with us today. It's a shame we're just about out of time. Otherwise, I'm sure we could discuss this all afternoon for sure. But um, <laughs> it's been an incredibly informative experience as well. And um, I think it would actually be fantastic from a listener's point of view, especially to even have you back on the programme at some point in the next year, once we begin to see what this new normal is looking like and understand exactly how the industry is getting on as a whole as well yeah absolutely that'd be a pleasure yeah and hopefully we'll have some good news to share it would be my pleasure as well Stephen. let's certainly hope so for sure um in the meantime however do please take care and stay safe with everything still going on because we're certainly not out of the uh, the woods yet with this indeed not indeed not and yourself scott all the best that was Stephen Adkins speaking, the Managing Director of Adkins Associates. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition. And that came after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that is coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think 
you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life, and that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely, and in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time it may be overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team 
it is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but 
overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, 
I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's have a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? 
Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back to an earlier earlier question for me, the, um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how Absolutely. big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.